light of infinite. The truth is, we all fall time and again. The secret is to not view it negatively. Because life is only truly negative if we don't use our falls towards elevation. If falling back pushes us forward, it's a powerful tool towards transcendence. Just living in and of itself presents challenges. Each challenge is an opportunity to get it right the next time. If we can greet hate with love, our life can change. If we don't, we tend to stay stuck in a cycle that doesn't feel aligned. As Mac Miller so eloquently saying on Hurt Feelings, you've been going through it, I just go around it. This touches on the concept of the Rebbe Marash's Lechatkhila Ariba, which is leap over it in the first place. The Rebbe Marash would say, the world says that if you can't crawl under an obstacle, try to leap over it. However, I say leap over it in the first place. So when we are faced with challenges, our attitude towards them can affect the very challenge itself. As the Lubavitcher Rebbe addressed when replying to a letter he received, I have just received your letter in which you describe your present poor state of health. Surely you have heard of the saying from the Rebbe Maharaj, the world says that if you cannot crawl under an obstacle, try to leap over it. However, I say leap over it in the first place. It applies in your case as well. Indeed, it would seem that the state of openly revealed joy should be delayed until after you are actually healed. Nevertheless, in keeping with the above-mentioned saying, it's reasonable to express this joy resulting from your eventual healing, although the actual healing has yet to take place. Not only that, but the joy itself will be a catalyst to hasten your healing. This is in keeping with the saying often heard from the Rebbe's of Chabad. Think positively and you will see positive results. Most assuredly, this will be effective when you transfer these positive thoughts into joyous words and deeds. Dealing with negative situations by reacting with hope and curiosity, rather than cynicism and depression, allows us to change the circumstances for the better. This is done when we remind ourselves that everything is in the hands of Hashem. Every descent is for the purpose of an ascent. And somehow, even if we can't fully understand it, everything is for our own good in the long run. This is all part of the journey in the concealed space of the state that we're in can't often see that our challenges are for the purpose of growth and often to change the path that we're on. Of course, this is all to be applied internally. It's something we have to master to muster the love of life even in the hard times. When it comes to those around us going through their own journeys, we should always respond to their hardships only with compassion. Last week we covered the Alter Rebbe's very powerful teaching from Chazal in the Talmud where it says, in the place where a Bali Tshuva, penitents, stand, even the perfect righteous cannot stand. This comes to remind us that repentance with great love, if someone is at the literal bottom and puts their full heart and faith and love into their own redemption at the mercy of Hashem, that depth and yearning and hope, the Alter Rebbe teaches that one's intentional sin becomes like merits. That person, since it's through those sins that the person eventually came to great love. We read, Moshe said to his father-in-law, Chovev, son of Ruel the Midianite, we are now on our way to the place that Hashem promised to give us. Come with us and we will let you share the benefits of all the good things that Hashem has promised Israel. In this week's Parsha B'Halotcha, we read yet again of the land that we're promised. The land we are named so preciously after, Israel. On the way to the land, the Israelites complain of the suffering they experienced wandering in the desert. Rashi says the Israelites complain, how weary we have become on the road, we have not rested for days. They also complain about the manna, because even if it tasted like anything a person wanted, it always looked the same. The manna always reminded me of chilba, the Yamanite dip, it's like a sort of detox, also made out of coriander seed, also sometimes having a crystallized look, and it's described in this week's parsha. The Israelites missed the food they ate in Egypt. It's always when they're focused on what is lacking in the moment that they fill themselves with doubt instead of faith, and that's when they fall. 
The word for doubt, the Hebrew word is suffik. It's 240 in gematria, the numerical value, the same as amalek, the nation and the notion that the Torah commands us to eliminate from the world. So our deeper task is to be grateful for all that we are given, which strengthens our faith and eliminates the forces that make us fall. The very first principle of our faith is that Hashem is perfect and the primary cause of all that exists. So doubting that everything is for the good is doubting Hashem, and that is when bad, quote unquote, manifests. Kedushe Rim says that the Israelites were often unwilling to understand that the land of Israel, like the knowledge of Torah, can only be earned through suffering. Had they accepted the journey with love and faith, Rashi says, they would have entered Israel three days after leaving Egypt. But because they did not have that gratitude, the journey was, of course, much longer. Rivash explains that their complaints weren't only of the toil of the road, but of the impending battles that inevitably awaited them. And so they were actually eager to prolong their time in the desert. It's written, The fire of Hashem burned in the midst and devoured the edge of the camp. Rashi explains that the verse is referring to the group called the Erev Rav, the sort of riffraff of Egypt that traveled along with the children of Israel. In their complaints, these riffraff remember the free fish that they had in Egypt, but forgot the horror of being beaten and coerced into cementing their own children into Pharaoh's buildings. Azal, our sages interpret free from this verse as free from ethical and spiritual responsibilities, the mitzvot. It's interesting that the verse says free fish that we will eat, future tense, which Oznaim Latarav says reveals not only a desire for the past, but yearning and hope to return to Egypt in the future. They were afraid of the burden it would be on their godly souls to have Hashem as master, so much so that they were willing to convince themselves that they would rather have Pharaoh be the master of their physical selves. Focusing on the past or present doesn't allow oneself to be present, and presence is precious. It's how we fuel our faith instead of our falls. As you may know this quote, worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow, it only saps today of its joy. In times of doubt, perspective often goes out the window. Amalek, which is synonymous with Yitzhahara, the evil inclination, enters as a powerful and convincing force. It is then that the first of the principles of faith must become a focal point, and we are tasked to rid ourselves of doubt and lean on bitachon, trust. Bitachon is such a deep concept, encompassing optimism and confidence based not on personal experience from the past or reason, but on emunah, on faith. Rabbi Natan of Breslov emphasizes how powerful the force of the Yitzhahara is, that its sole purpose is to distance each person from Hashem, especially for those who begin to get closer. Rabbi Natan stresses that even though the Yitzhahara puts all sorts of barriers and frustrations in each person's path at these times, one can fight back and overcome with even the smallest effort to come closer to Hashem. Focusing on the positive, even the smallest good point or sliver of good, is the key to fighting suffolk. This is seen in the ritual of Rosh Kodesh, the sanctification of the new moon. When two witnesses see a sliver of the moon, they say, Mikudash, Mikudash, sanctified, declaring the new moon cycle that all the Jewish holidays and rituals revolve around. Seeing just the potential of a rebirth and all that that cycle brings is holiness. And all of our festivals and rituals revolve around that practice. Rabbi Natan explains that sanctifying even just a tiny bit of the moon's light elevates it. It's said that when the moon was created, it was created with a blemish. But our ritual of Rosh Chodesh spiritually rectifies and restores it to its original intended glory. When we rejoice over just a mere speck of light, that good point that we merit to find, despite it being infinitesimally small and concealed in darkness, we ourselves are rectified and genuinely becoming deserving of Hashem's seeing and revealing light in us. The Zohar explains that the land of Israel is associated with the moon. It says that the reason Yahshua was able to enter Israel but Moshe wasn't, was that, as Chazal say, Yahshua's face was like that of the moon, while Moshe's face was like that of the sun, which expresses a higher level of spirituality. Kabbalistically, 
the sun and the moon are associated with Zer Anpim and Nukva, respectively. The bride of Zer Anpim and the Aramaic for the Hebrew word Nekeva, meaning feminine. The coupling of Zer Anpim and Nukva represents the unification of emotion and expression. The radiance of the Zer Anpim shines as emotion, which is reflected in its counterpart, Nukva, which manifests its expression. This is seen in both how the moon reflects the sun and in how Yahushua's face showed his spiritual level as a reflection of Moshe's light. Darizal explains that Israel is associated with Malchut, and heaven and earth are associated with Zer Anpim and Nukva. So Moshe did not enter Israel because he was on a higher spiritual level than the land itself. Only his disciple Yahushua was on a spiritual level that perfectly mirrored the land. While Miriam and Aaron questioned why Moshe would never enter the land and saw it as a negative consequence, the Kabbalistic reasoning is that he alone is the face of the sun. So he cannot enter the land which is known as the holy moon. We also wax and wane like the moon, a reflection of our moments of unification and disconnect. Our task is to strengthen this unification in order to bring about the final redemption, when the light of the moon will shine like the light of the sun. I love how Rabbi Isaac of Homil writes about the moon. When she was first created, the moon was a glistening jewel. She did not merely reflect light, but rather transformed it and brought out its inner beauty, much as a precious stone which glistens with a secret, hidden light all its own. In her own way, the moon was greater than the sun, for the sun only shines from its surface, whereas the moon shone from its inner essence. The sun holds the light that extends outward, whereas the moon holds the light of being. When we transform ourselves in the world with Torah and mitzvot, the redemptive light of both Zer Ampim and the Nukva will shine equally. Moshe Feinstein points out that one's love for a mitzvah brings blessings in this world. Hashem promised to Yeshua, this book of the Torah will not depart from your lips. And with this promise came a blessing that Yeshua will be able to fulfill the mitzvah he loved without any physical hindrance. This is similar to in Vayikra when Hashem promises, if you will follow my decrees, you will receive blessings. Rambam says that if you follow the mitzvot, you will receive material blessings from Hashem, which will help facilitate greater success in the performance of the mitzvot and the study of Torah. This sort of doubt and concealment of good is spelled out in three types of heresy one could commit. The first is pure atheism. The second is a belief in a higher power, but a denial of Ashkecha Prati, divine providence, which is Hashem's personal guidance over our lives. In this case, the person believes in happenstance and nature, which leads to blaming others or self-persecution for hardships. The third heresy is a belief in Hashem's Hashkacha Prati, but not the full bitachon that Hashem runs the world with full loving kindness and mercy. This is maybe the most difficult one because it forces full trust that even the bad, quote unquote, is for the good. There are many reasons, sources, and explanations for why it's essential to thank Hashem for even one suffering. One is in this parsha, but when the time comes that their stubborn spirit is humbled, I will forgive their sin. Gratitude and humility go hand in hand, and they invoke divine compassion. We see this daily. When someone thanks you, you want to do more for them. You feel seen and appreciated. But when someone ignores or even denies a favor you may have done for them, it destroys any desire you may have for doing it again. The Talmud teaches that a person is led down the path that they choose to follow. If the person believes everything is for the good, then reality becomes good for them. But if the person only sees bad, then they are treated accordingly with this lack of amuna, and bad manifests more and more. People sometimes message me about the positivity I focus on and want to make sure I am not discounting the difficulty and sometimes seemingly unbearable times. I tell them that I am not discounting the adversity that we all face on different levels, but trying to inspire us to realize that while we are going through these times, we can feel sadness, but depression on the level of complete faithlessness is not good. Even with the passing of our loved ones, it's super difficult and Judaism has a structure that surrounds grieving, but it is only hopeless if we believe in the physical 
in our short time here and not the eternal spiritual and this physicality being only a blip on our journey. The Tanya teaches that sadness must be avoided at all costs, while a sense of bitterness is permitted. The Alter Rebbe teaches that bitterness can lead to positive results not only from those grieving but also for the souls of the departed. In Mendel Kamenson's transformative book about the Lubavitcher Rebbe where he writes that the Rebbe explains that sadness is a feeling that depletes the person's energy and leaves them feeling progressively lower and increasingly lost, while bitterness has more of a bite or a sting. It therefore stimulates each person to action. Its concentrated pain presents us with a direction forward. The feeling of hitting rock bottom leaves us with few options but to rise. The Alter Rebbe's explanation of the place where the Baal Tshuva stands, even the perfectly righteous cannot stand, that means it's only when we reach the lowest point that we can reach the highest point. And as King Solomon points out, the world was created with a balance, Zed Lumad Zed, where God made one paralleling the other. Kamensen elaborates that the Rebbe tells us that it is our responsibility to transform our sadness into bitterness in order to incorporate it into our soul's purpose rather than to become comfortably numb and relinquish ourselves to the depressive rhythms of disoriented existence. We see this concept as we read this week, the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of Sinai and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran. There are areas in the wilderness that had concentrations of holiness and others concentrations of klipot, of impurity. When the Israelites sinned, it was partly because of their being in those areas that manifested such behavior. So of course, this raises the question, why would Hashem lead them into those areas? The Khatam Sofer teaches that the superfluous journeys that it's written comes to illuminate that Hashem would choose destinations based on the people's own inclinations when they were leaving their previous encampments. If their focus was on serving Hashem, the Anane Kavod, the clouds of glory would lead them to a place of holiness, which is conducive to their desires and their spiritual growth. But if, on the other hand, they left in a space of self-serving and a desire for physical comforts, they would be led to a place lacking in holiness and conducive to indulgence. The place would present challenges to not fall, but it manifested concretely from their subconscious ruminations. Ramban points out that it says on their journeys, emphasizing their journeys, because they did not leave on Hashem's journey, but it was their own visions and indulgences in mind. Because of this, the Ananea Kavod placed them on a path that was spiritually detrimental. We need to rid ourselves of our self-serving nature by practicing Bitul Hayesh, negating and nullifying traces of ego, of self-centeredness. It's through this that we can align as creations with our Creator. Our focus can manifest our falls, so we need to ensure that our focus is on faith and alignment. With humility and gratitude, a person becomes a partner in creation. As Rabbi Nachman explains, Hashem created this world because of His mercy, and He created the entire world in order to reveal His mercy. By believing that everything is good and thanking Hashem for everything, we bind ourselves to the Creator and fulfill Hashem's ultimate goal for creating the universe. Hashem's mercy will always prevail over such a person and constantly increase. It's as the Tzemach Tzedek would say, Tracht gut, v'zayin gut, which translates as, think good and it will be good. That must be each person's motto in realizing that full faith brings ultimate good and redemption. It's that realization that we can't get along without Hashem and that the bitachon in Hashkacha Prati brings us closer to the truth of En Od Milvado, there's nothing other than Hashem. It is often the ones furthest from Hashem who are able to find their bitachon when they are suffering. They realize that calling out to God is their only option. Jumping further into the verse, but when the time comes that their stubborn spirit is humbled, I will forgive their sin. Rabbi Arya Kaplan translates the stubborn spirit as an uncircumcised heart. This is like the sacrifices, the korbanot, that were brought in the Mishkan by anyone who is generous of heart as the covenant with Hashem. Circumcision is the ultimate sign of a covenant with Hashem. 
Therefore, lack of faith is a breaking of our covenant with Hashem in our hearts. We are commanded to strengthen our faith through humility by pushing away any suffix. That is the only way to be at peace. And as we learned in last week's parsha, the last word of the last blessing of the Birkat Kohanim is shalom, peace. Peace is the vessel that contains every blessing. True shalom is one of the hardest things to achieve. It's a culmination of perfecting so many aspects within oneself, especially faith and positive perspective. The Rebbe says, we have only by faith to compensate for those moments of faithlessness. I've always seen time as a figment of a fractured world, a perspective limited by finitude. Our limited selves are trapped in a constant struggle. Amalek is the manifestation of suffolk, of doubt, the expansion of narrow physicality. While the constant practice of eliminating suffolk, eliminating doubt, is the expansion of ever-broadening spiritual reality. It's only by that expansion and unification with divine consciousness that each person can tap into the light of the infinite our godly soul, unbound by time. Dive in deeper at lightofinfinite.com.